Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. Well, hi, Nisa. How are you? Hi, Lisa. I'm good. Yeah, still quarantined down in Georgia? Still, yep, still quarantining, doing a little bit of work over the holidays, like most mm-hmm. nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has to put in their holiday hours, so... Such is life in the ER and in the ER air? Yeah. On the A E R. Yeah, that doesn't work. We'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we talking about today? So um, today I wanted to start by talking about an essay that was written actually in 2009 by a guy named Paul Graham. And Paul Graham is, this essay became very, very famous in his industry. And he um, is in the financial industry, specifically in the investment world. Uh, uh, um VC, venture capitalist. Yes, venture capitalist, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which I'm not even going to pretend to know, to pretend like I know a whole lot about. I don't. I have friends who are venture capitalists. All I know is they make lots of money, more money than I will ever make. And they make it by giving it away. I hope they'll give some to me. <laughs> when you have a great idea. Right. Um, so he is in that industry, which seems like it's very, very far removed from either your industry or my industry. Mm-hmm. This is an essay that he wrote. It's called The Maker's Schedule, Manager's Schedule. And he's talking about two different roles in his industry and the two different schedules that they keep. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of to, to recap what he's talking about, he's talking about um, computer programmers who are essential in the financial industry, and then also managers who are equally as essential in, in his industry. Right. So the people who write the code that helps the managers make the money that they need to make. Right. And so those programmers, those code writers are the makers and mm-hmm. then the others are the managers. And so for the maker schedule, he talks about how important it is that makers have long chunks of time, hours and hours of uninterrupted time, where they can just sit and write code and create programs and be in a zone and be sort of heads down, uninterrupted, focused on what it is that they are making creating, writing, and they do it in chunks of hours. Oftentimes the entire morning is spent on one project and then maybe the afternoon would be a continuation of that project or a separate project. And that's kind of how... Right. They have big big issues that require dedicated long periods of time in order to even get the momentum that they need to finish or to get to even make a milestone in that project. That's right. In contrast, the manager's schedule is broken up into what he calls like one-hour chunks. So managers spend most of their days going from meeting to meeting. And so they would have a meeting from 9 to 10, and then they'd have a meeting maybe from 10.15 to 11.15, and then another meeting from 11.30 to 12.30, then take a break for lunch, and so on and so forth. And so their day is broken up into one-hour chunks or 45-minute chunks or one-and-a-half-hour chunks. And so if you needed them or you needed to meet with them 
or they needed to work on a project, it would just be a matter of finding a chunk of time during their day and plugging into that. So very different set of schedules. Right. The manager has lots of small puzzle pieces that can be assembled in many different forms in many different ways throughout the week, whereas a programmer, a coder, or other kinds of project managers require much larger blocks of time. And the idea of splitting those things up like a manager just doesn't work for the kind of work that they have to do. And the manager is usually, um, their, our chunks, it's usually coinciding with other people. So they're meeting with someone from another department or they're meeting with their cohort who is, you know, or the committee or the, um, guy across town who's the competitor or whatever. Right. The supplier maybe. So, um, they spend those chunks usually with other, often with other people. And that is when the problem comes because these schedules don't, mesh together very well without causing a problem for one or the other or both. Right. Now, what in the world do computer programmers and <laughs> what did you call them? V- uh, coders? VC? What was uh, venture capitalists. VC, venture capitalists. What in the world does that have to do with emergency nurses? Ah, I don't know, Nisa. What in the world does that have to do with emergency nurses? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Um, so I think that in many ways, the schedules that we have in the emergency room could parallel, um, the manager maker model. So the makers in our world would be the, the boots on the ground emergency nurses. Mm -hmm. So rather than writing code for hours and hours at a time, what they are doing is they are serving patients and And in order to serve patients and to run the department and to run their zone or their patient assignment, which is often four patients, sometimes five patients, um, you need long, uninterrupted blocks of time. And then on the flip side of that, you have the managers who are exactly that. They're managers of the department. And they are on that opposite schedule where they are in hour chunks of time, usually um, mm-hmm. going from meeting to meeting, uh, committee to committee. And they uh, are making very important decisions, hospital-wide decisions, department-wide decisions, hiring decisions, disciplinary decisions. And those are done roughly in one-hour chunks. Got it. But clinical nurses, boots-on-the-ground nurses, and the managers have to interface and they have to come together. And that interfacing oftentimes causes a problem for one or the other of the um, the parties involved. And so what I want to do in this episode is I want to talk about some of the some of the suggestions that Paul Graham makes about how these two schedules could potentially kind of compromise and come together and how we can apply it to the emergency nursing world and the uh, administrators world and maybe how we can actually have them come together as well to be the most productive for the department. Okay. So why do you think these two don't mesh well in the ER? What, what specifically is the problem? May I hazard a few guesses? Yeah. So... The managers, are they on a nine to five schedule or more of a, a banker's hour schedule or they're, I, I'm guessing that the majority of the management staff is during the day. Right. So it depends on the manager and depends definitely on the department and the hospital. So some of them may do like 7 a.m. to three. Some mm-hmm. might be more eight to four, nine to five. 
Um, I actually had an administrator who worked. She was salaried, but she often was there 6A to 7P. I mean, she okay. was a workhorse, um, worked well over 40 hours a week, even though she was salaried. Um, okay. But she would be a, an exception. Okay. And, and that still doesn't, in doing this schedule evaluation, we should be attempting to address a positive work-life balance as well so that neither maker or manager, or let's say in this case, healthcare worker and healthcare administrator, uh, that neither of them ends up bearing the burden of making the other person's job more convenient for them. Right. But you're correct in assuming that the majority of the manager schedule is going to be the, a day shift schedule. And, and the majority of it's going to be a Monday through Friday. In terms of the ER, at least just knowing what I know about you, I'm also going to assume that in terms of the manager umbrella, you can throw things like training sessions and evaluations and tests that you need to take on a regular basis. Those probably also happen during regular business hours. So those are hour long, two hour long types of events that you have to plan for. I know you just took a test that you had to figure out how to do through COVID and with the, all of the distance and the technology, but you had to figure out how to fit that in after a 24 hour shift and before going to pick up your dog. <laughs> so I see you trying to maneuver your schedule in order to accommodate a two hour block of time that is being inserted in between your already crazy schedule. And it usually has to do with tests or training. Right. That's right. And so a manager might think, oh, we'll just, uh, we'll just have a staff meeting at 6.15 a.m. and p.m. before they come in for a 7 a.m. or p.m. shift. And it'll be super convenient because they can just pop in a little bit early on a shift. But what they may not re- remember is that a 12-hour shift is really a 13-hour shift by the time you add in lunch and clocking in a little bit early and a little bit later, not to mention whatever commute you have, which turns it then into a 13-and-a-half or 14-hour shift. Now add a half an hour or an hour staff meeting, and we're talking about 14 to 15 hours of time that you've just committed a staff member to. And... Um, particularly if you're doing one after a 12-hour shift, um, think about how much attention or buy-in you're going to have from someone who's just worked 12 hours. Right. They're, they're burnt. Right. Right. They're there to check a box and have their right. name on a roll. And are you really getting the quality training or the quality assessment or even um, the quality, part- quality participation from a member of your healthcare staff if they're burnt out from having just put in a full day. Right. And so what's the other option? You're going to have a 30 or 40 minute staff meeting and you want someone to come all the way into work for 30 minutes and they Mm -hmm. live 30 or 40 minutes away. Uh, You want them to drive twice as far for, for that long, you know, or a little 30 minute training. So that's another thing you want to consider is, well, I've got, I've got a 40 minute mandatory training I have to come in for, but you know, I live an hour away or I live 30 minutes away. I don't know, you know, that's a, that's a tricky position to be in as well. Like I'm going to commute for an hour and a half for a 40 minute meeting. Okay. Okay. So we've established that not only is the, uh, primarily day business hours schedule of the management 
an issue. Um, but also the length of shifts for healthcare workers and how accommodations that are still designed to fall within regular business hours may add more of a time burden to a healthcare worker who's already put in a, a huge shift. Right. Okay. So when managers are making decisions, when they're making new policies, when they're making new rules, when they're bringing new products or processes, you know, when they're exploring new processes and putting them in place, you really want the frontline workers that are going to be enacting those processes to have a seat at the table. So what do you do? Well, a lot of times what managers think is a great idea is, well, we'll find a time when they're on shift and then we'll set a meeting and we'll just have someone cover their zone for an hour and we'll just pull them out of staffing and it'll be great. We'll have the, the float nurse or the, the, the nurse who's assigned to trauma for that day. We'll have them cover their area or, or just, you know, the, the, the other nurses in their zone can just absorb their patients for an hour while we pull them up to the conference room and we'll have this meeting. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this new product that we're thinking of bringing in or this new process that we're thinking about enacting. So imagine you have your computer programmer who is sitting there and they are working on this brilliant piece of code and they are right there about to crack the code and their manager knocks on the door and says, hey, we're going to just yank you out for an hour. It's fine because we're going to put this substitute programmer in your spot and they're just going to babysit your code for an hour. It'll be just fine. No worries. And then you can come back and get right to it. Um, it's similar to, to that kind of an idea with the ER nurse. When you pull an ER nurse out of their assignment for an hour, they could potentially have a patient that gets discharged or needs discharge, but the person who's coming to babysit doesn't know what the discharge instructions are, or the follow-up, so that discharge might get delayed by an hour. They may get a new admission in, which means that the, the nurse who is babysitting the area does the admission assessment and, and starts initiating all the orders. But when the nurse comes back, they've got to get all caught up. They've got to sort of do their own quick head to toe assessment. So that's double work. They've got to try to figure out what this patient is here for. They've got to backtrack and, and, and you're losing all this time. Meanwhile, all the orders on the other two or three patients they've got to catch up on. When they're up in the meeting, they've probably still got their phone with them. They're getting phone calls from maybe upstairs. Hey, I've got a bed assignment. Can you give me a report? No, I'm in a meeting right now. That delays the process. Hey, it's lab. I've got a critical lab to report to you. Can you take it? Well, I'm in the middle of a meeting. You know, it, it, there there is no such thing as just pulling away for an hour. And yeah, then you just, can't hit the pause button. It doesn't just stop. The, everything continues to, to chug along, even if you're physically pulled out of the space. That's right. And even if you're the triage nurse, let's say they pull you from triage for an hour and someone babysits triage, they can triage, you know, 10 patients while you're gone. But if those patients are still in the waiting room, they've got to give you a rundown on all 10 of those patients and where they fit in the triage kind of rank and file so that you can appropriately send them to the back. I mean, it's just not a great way to do it. It's just not great. You, you, you put that nurse way behind their flow, even if you just pluck them out for an hour. So here's the other thing that happens. Let's say a manager d decides to pull two or three nurses out of staffing and they've got some coverage to go around because they want some, some, um, clinical staff up in this meeting or this committee meeting or this interview or whatever it is. And the meeting's supposed to start at two on the dot. Those nurses aren't going to get there at two o'clock. 
Nurses will sh show up to work on time. That's something that we can do because we have a, a, a little 10-minute zone where we can show up anywhere from this time to this time. But for us to get everything wrapped up and hand off report to the nurse who's going to take over and get up there by 2 o'clock without somebody vomiting or, you know, EMS coming, rolling into our room right at this minute, that's just not going to happen. These All three of these nurses aren't going to show up to the meeting right at 2 o'clock. One's going to come at 2, one's going to trickle in at 10 after, one's going to come in at 15 after. And so you're going to start your meeting, then you're going to have to restart your meeting, then you're going to have to restart your meeting again and get everybody caught up. It's going to make for terrible inefficiencies. So it's it's just not a great interface when these two worlds and these two schedules come together. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side, let's talk about the manager schedule for a minute. Managers are roughly Monday through Friday, let's say 7 to 3 or 7 to 4-ish, okay? Mm -hmm. About the time that the manager's getting ready to clock out and go home, or, or usually their salary, about the time that they're getting ready to go home, that's roughly the time when the department is falling to pieces. That's just about the time when everything is blowing up. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard for someone who's in administration, or it could potentially be, for them to, I mean, they've, they've done their they've done their eight hours. It's really hard for you to turn around and go home when you can see that things are just falling apart. But then you might turn into the one administrator that just never leaves, just stays there until 7 p.m., 8 p.m. I mean, if you wait until the department calms down, especially in December of 2020, you're just going to move in because that's yeah. never going to happen. And so um, finding that work-life balance might be really, really hard. So the other thing about the manager schedule is because emergency rooms run 24-7, 365, Mm -hmm. um, and because you are the top dog in the emergency department, it's really important that your staff knows when you want to be called. So I have worked under emergency managers who did not want to be called. You handle it. If it's a mass casualty, if it's a VIP, if it's 3 a.m. on Christmas morning, handle it. And then I've been, I've worked under another manager who don't let me wake up in the morning and find out something big happened overnight and I don't know about it. You call me anytime, 24-7. Loop me in, even if there's nothing to be done, even if you guys have handled it and there's nothing that you need from me, I just want to be informed so that I can speak um, speak to it in an informed manner when someone else is asking me questions about what went on in my department. And then there's everything in between those two um, styles of of, um, of management. Do you have a preference? Um, so as a boots-on-the-ground clinician, I want someone who is, is available to me 24-7. Uh, however, if I were in that position, uh, I don't know that I'd want my phone ringing all the time at 3 a.m., mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I'm just not sure. Um, the other thing about that that kind of it, it kind of brings it to mind is that as healthcare workers, when we work in this industry, sometimes when we live with and love people who are not in the, this industry, they don't understand when we get phone calls on Christmas afternoon, or right. when we get text messages at three o'clock in the morning, or when we get, "Hey, can you come into work?" Um, on, you know, at, at some crazy time. I mean, there's, because it's has to be staffed all the time, 
we don't think that way. And other people think it's so offensive that you're intruding on our family time. Why would you call at six o'clock when you know that's dinner time? Why would you call on Christmas day? We don't think that way, but sometimes our spouses who aren't in the industry or our other loved ones don't understand that. And that's another example of sort of the maker's schedule, maybe um, butting up against other types of schedules that don't understand what we do. So that's something that um, they quickly will will learn uh, and maybe <laughs> resent maybe a adapt little to. less. <laughs> yeah. yeah, adapt to. I like that. That's much better. That's much better. Uh, so I, if you are in the manager schedule, it's important for your staff to be really clear what what circumstances you want to be called under, what circumstances you don't want to be called under, um, what's appropriate, or, or, you know, do you just want an email sitting in your inbox when you wake up to check it? You know, and that's a nice sort of middle ground maybe. And then there's a whole nother third subset in the emergency okay. department that falls under the maker schedule, but they are extra special. And that is our dear, dear friends on night shift. Mm. They are maker schedule XL because they're on the maker schedule, but they are flip side to the whole rest of the world. And they get forgotten about. They get not ignored, but they get neglected neglected in many ways. They get taken for granted in many ways. They probably still have to go to training and to their tests and assessments during the day, which means that they have to pull an all night shift and then get up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon so that they could be someplace at one so that then they have to get back to the hospital by seven to work at seven to seven. I can see that. That's exactly right. Exactly right. They don't have the same opportunities as day shift. Um, some facilities don't have the cafeteria open all night, especially smaller facilities. So, you know, they don't have those kind of opportunities. Um, and, and in my experience, night shifters will do one of two things. They will live their life as a night shifter seven days a week. So they are always up at night and they always sleep in the day. That's what some people do. Then what some people do is they will do their three twelves or often four twelves in a row as a night shifter. And then that last day they will sort of sleep maybe till noonish and then they will flip back to a day walker and try to sleep at night. Maybe they have small children, maybe they have loved ones who are day walkers. And so they will kind of flip back into a day life for that half of the week until they go back to their night walking schedule. Are you even familiar with the day walker as a vampire term? Do you realize it has a pop cultural reference that a day walker is like a, it's what, what like Blade, who's a vampire killer, half vampire Marvel comic. He's called a day walker because he can withstand the sun. You did not know yeah, that? To- yeah, I totally know that. <laughs> Ah, Nisa the culturally ignorant. I give it. Wait, I, I, that's right. Blade was in the pop ni- culture. Pop culture. Pop culture. After 1980. Like I literally know my Van Gogh, but don't ask me about Blade. <laughs> <laughs> so, go- nothing. I was not going to make a qualitative statement against Van Gogh and Marvel comics. Was not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> So there are two different ways to handle your night shift schedule, and those are the two that I've experienced. As people stay on that night shift, even on their off days, people flip-flop back and forth. It would behoove you as a manager to know which of your night shifters do 
which of those things. Mm -hmm. Because calling a night shifter at 3 o'clock in the afternoon would be akin to calling a day shifter at 3 a.m. for ones that stay on the night shift schedule. Got it. And and that would be rude. Mm -hmm. So the other thing about night shift is... In emergency departments, we are required to do certain things annually. So, for instance, we were supposed to have a mass casualty drill annually. Um, I've never seen one done at night. Mm. Um, night shifters might be glad of that. They might feel like they're missing out on that. Uh, but in a similar vein, I've never seen the accrediting bodies like DNV or JCO come at night either. Mm. So maybe it's like a fair trade-off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You'd have to ask a night shifter. <laughs> um, but when we were talking about those meetings, those committee meetings, those process meetings, those product meetings, none of those should be initiated without night shift input. Now, they're not going to be able to come to a 1 p.m. committee meeting very well, very easily. Uh, but what you might be able to do is Skype them in to a meeting at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. or Skype them in to a meeting at 6 a.m., uh, that's a possibility. Now that we're doing Zoom and Skype so much, consider doing that as a staff meeting alternative for your people who have long commutes, for your uh, alternate shift people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good option. But nothing should be implemented without some night shift input. Right. And then there are really large departments who have other shifts like mid-shifts, 3P to 3A, or 9A to 9P, 11A uh, A to 11P, some of those mid-shifters, they also get left out um, of some processes and some, and some committees, and their input gets left out a lot of times. And so they need to be looped in as well and included as well, have opportunities for um, input. Mm. There are some people who have one foot in the maker and one foot in the management. And those people can really be exploited and used to sort of bridge these two um, areas. And those people would be people like your educators. Oftentimes they spend some time doing clinical shifts and some time in the educator role. Depends on how your, your department runs it. Um, The charge nurses for sure. I was going to ask if charge nurse fell into that. Yeah, and most department charge nurses are kind of one foot in each of those. Mm-hmm. And then even sometimes clinical nurse specialists in larger departments, they would also kind of have one foot in each uh, of those areas. And so really exploit them and get them involved when you're trying to have, uh, when you're making decisions, especially about process and time and decision making. So another thing that I want to talk about is something that I like to call, the, and I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's called the magic of 6 a.m. That's what I call it. The magic of 6 a.m. I don't think you have said that before, actually. That's new to me. So if when I was the educator, if um, I had some important um, information to disseminate to night shift, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I'll just hang out until 6.30 when they come in and catch them at the beginning of their shift, it's a huge mistake. They walk in and it is balls to the wall. Mm. They have their roller skates on and they are going from the moment that they get there. There is no time to pull them aside and say, hey, do you have five minutes for me to... No, 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 no. There's none of that. So um, a better option is to come in early and meet them at 6 a.m. the next morning. It's not a guarantee. They could have had a ridiculous night and 6 a.m. is just as busy as when you left uh, the night before. Mm But if there is going to be a downtime, you're better off trying it at 6 a.m. Additionally, uh, 6.30 in the morning, you'll have day shift and night shift together, and you get two for one, 
And again, if there's going to be a manageable time in the department, it might be that time. Mm. So it's the magic of 6 a.m. that I love. Mm. That's a good one. One of the things that uh, you can also maybe try to manage to, to match these schedules is if you are involved in a committee, if you are a, a frontline clinician and you want to be involved in a committee, um, but it, it is difficult to come in on an off day or to, to if you have a long commute, to come in for a one-hour meeting. You can see if you can turn it into a little, what we call a princess shift. Um, I think it's adorable in nursing that we call an eight-hour shift or a six-hour shift a princess shift. You just introduced us to that concept this last week when you're like, I have this easy princess shift. It's What was it? It was 10 p.m. to 7 a.m.? 10 p.m. to uh, 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. And you thought, oh, maybe I'll work until 7 a.m. But this is going to be so easy. It's just seven hours. And I was shocked and dismayed by the fact of being up at 10 p.m. What people are awake at 10 p.m. <laughs> and what I think is adorable is we call it a princess shift when literally everyone else in the world works an eight-hour day on a normal day. Yes. And we think it's la 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 princess. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, this is what, this is what has come to. Yeah. But, um, but so, so let's say you have a one o'clock committee meeting and maybe you can come in and, and do the one to two and then stay till seven or stay for another three or four hours and just help out. And then instead of doing a 12 the next day, you can come in at noon. You know, maybe you can work with your management to sort of trade around some hours making it worth your while. That's how the manager works with the maker and the maker works with the manager. So you sort of split things up like that. Um, that's the busy time in the, the department, the afternoon, evening hours. So it works. It's, it's good for them and it's potentially good for you. Uh, everybody wins. Uh, they get your invaluable input on the committee that they want you to be on anyway. What about this idea that he uh, suggested that you set aside office hours? Is there some way for... I mean, presumably this goes back to hospital management, staffing concerns, and those sorts of um, higher level administrative uh, uh, problems. But if you could schedule all of your ER nurses to know that, all right, so they work there 40 hours a week. I don't know what your regular schedule is, but five hours at the, or two and a half hours at the beginning of two shifts a week are set aside as office hours before they have to hit the ground running at the ER. That's when they are getting paid on their regular schedule, but that's when they're able to schedule meetings um, or able to go to training sessions or take their tests. If that time was administratively set aside as their official office hours where they are expected to be at the hospital, but to do those administrative tasks and management tasks and participate in meetings, or even if it's just a question of watching a meeting, the the, the Zoom recording of a meeting that took place earlier, that you then communicate, you know, I'm watching the meeting. These were my thoughts on it that then gets disseminated to the rest of the larger group to be then discussed the next time the group gets together so that you can have your input and also be part of the chain. Is that a practical consideration that could be brought into bear? Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. I think in Utopia General Hospital, that would be a beautiful thing. Um, so one thing about there. that, <laughs> me too, they don't have COVID there. They do. Um, 
One thing about that that you bring up that's a good point is for nurses who are just working 312s a week, which is not most nurses, most nurses work overtime, but many nurses, if you're just working 312s a week, you actually have four extra hours before you hit overtime. So managers are willing to let you do things like that in that four hours because it does they don't have to pay overtime. So you can come in and, and clock in for four hours here or there, shuffle it around. Sometimes many managers are willing to work in that four-hour sort of fluid time um, for education or committee meetings or, or something like that. Um, the problem is ultimately the department has to be staffed. So if you, if they say come in, you know, from seven to, to eleven on Friday morning and you can knock out this or this or this, but you get a couple of call outs on Friday and you've got a bunch of admission holds, they're going to pull you right into staffing, no yeah. doubt, because ultimately the patients have to be cared for first. Right. Similarly, if they've got this beautiful committee meeting scheduled and they've got all these nurses that they're bringing in, but everything goes to crap, that committee meeting is canceled and patient care has to come first. So there, it requires a lot of flexibility, a lot of fluidity um, that is, is really unique from other industries because you just can't anticipate what the good people of your hospital's catchment region are going to do that day or that afternoon or that evening or that year of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, a ranking order on types of meetings? You've said uh, you, you continually reference three different things. Uh, there's been a lot in here, but you've mentioned um, committee meetings, product meetings, and process, I think. Those are the three things you've mentioned the most. Would you rank, could you place a ranking order on those to say, okay, this is an absolutely necessary, therefore it's worthwhile for us to interrupt this ER nurse's day because this must be disseminated within this time period, as opposed to this is a product meeting where we're going to talk to somebody about some widget that we might buy that may not have direct reference to this particular nurse. So that is a low ranked meeting that they don't need to participate in and anything that, 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 that falls along that scale. Is that a way to try to assess or create an algorithm by which a scheduling manager can make better decisions about who to pull, when to pull or when to schedule? I'm just spitballing here, not knowing nothing about nothing. Yeah, I I think so. I think there are a lot of process meetings that would probably really need to include frontline people who are actually enacting the process. Um, depending on the product, I have no idea. You know, it would just it would it would just depend on the product. Some are more used by physicians. Some would be used more by nursing. Uh, Honestly, a lot of them are going to come down to money anyway, so that'll be taken out of your hands. Um, and then a lot of frontline nurses are pulled into committees and put in meetings because that's what the accrediting body says have to ha has to happen. Not because they're really all that key or all that necessary, but because it looks really good for your stroke certification or it looks really good for your STEMI certification. You've got to have a staff nurse on that committee or whatever. Um, 
And that's the one that could probably be triaged off, but that's the one that they're going to get stuck on because it's got to be there for that cert. So it's a little bit backwards, honestly. Um, and then there are other things like in hospitals that have magnet status where the entire meeting and the entire committee is just the staff nurses. And that's like a shared governance where you would have a unit council meeting. Um, that's just in, no management involved at all. It's just the staff making decisions for their own unit. That's one of the beautiful things about a magnet facility. Um, so yeah, it's a good point that you bring up that there are, there are levels of meetings for sure. And then, you know, when you interview a new staff, uh, or a potential staff member, ideally you would want current staff members in on that interview. That would be really nice to have. Can't always do it just because of, you know, logistics, but that would be ideal. Let me ask you this. How many times do you get called into meetings when you leave and go, well, that was a waste of my time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it happens nine times out of 10 for me. So it is unfortunately more often than you would like. Interesting. And, and, and having been in positions of uh, sort of leadership, there were many times when my calendar was sort of being competed for, and I would look at a meeting and think, does this impact emergency nurses? If this committee or process or whatever does not impact emergency nurses in a significant way, I'm not going. I'm going to spend my time doing something that actually matters to my department and my nurses. Um, this doesn't impact us. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to this this committee meeting or this process meeting or whatever, I I have to spend my time on my staff and my department and my, I will never, ever forget going to a meeting where we sat for one hour to decide that we did not need to have this meeting. (laughs) And, and, and it was like a discussion and like a, like eight or 10 people in this room talking in circles and I'm pretty sure it was computer people. Um, and I don't know how I got on that list, but I will never forget that I left that meeting going, did we just decide that we did not need to have that meeting or any future follow-up meetings? I can't decide if that's the best meeting I've ever been to in my life or the worst. Oh my gosh. That's kind but of, I will never forget it. Wow. That's like me spending two hours looking for a movie on Netflix and then just finally going to sleep after having not chosen anything because I've spent two hours looking for a two hour long movie. Yeah, and then you're like, well, exactly. that was a waste. I might as well have just gone to bed in the first place. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. Wow. Right. Okay. Hmm. Um. One. Uh. So. So it used to be just traditionally that in in hospital departments, the um, and especially in emergency departments, particularly that the shifts were seven a.m. to seven p.m. and seven p.m. to seven a.m. Right. And then. We got really clever and really smart and we started running metrics and we could see that there was, that the, um, the, um, census of the, the people, the influx of patients would, had like an ebb and a flow that could be predictable. Mm-hmm. And we could even predict it down to the days of the week and the hours of the days of the week. And so in order to save money and be more efficient and be more productive, we could staff based on the census of the influx of patients that we have seen as a trend 
on the days of the week and the, the hours of the day. Mm -hmm. So you would staff so many people 7A to P, and then you'd have a handful more come in at 9, and then you'd have a handful more come in at 11, and so on and so forth. And that's great. It's great for efficiency. It's great so that you don't have people just sitting around getting paid to do nothing. And it's great so that when it gets really busy, you have fresh staff there to, um, to take on that, that uh, influx of patients. The downside to that is when you had staff coming in at 7A and there weren't as many patients there, there were many other things that I don't think got measured that were being done. So, for instance, things were getting cleaned, things were getting restocked. Those are times when you could sit and talk with your staff and say, what do you think about this process? What do you think about this committee? What do you think about this product? Hey, have you had a look at this thing here or whatever? Or let me pull you into my office and talk to you about your future in this department and where I see you going or you know, have you thought about certification and things that aren't exactly measurable on a monetary way, mm -hmm. those kind of things are lost, mm -hmm. have gotten lost. And I get it. I get that this is a, you know, I have get you it. seen this shift, this calendar shift in your time as a nurse? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I understand on the one hand why it makes sense, but I also see the things that maybe, um, weren't measurable that have gotten lost. And one of those things is the, the interface of the manager maker schedule that happened in those hours where the census is well, census was low, but you still had your staff there and you could have these times where it was an informal brainstorming sessions or informal sort of committee meetings or unit council meetings that were happening at the nurse's station where problems were being solved. Yeah. Okay. A lot of gossip was going on too. Let's be real. Sure. But, um, but that's part of your morale and your, and your, we'll call your, it team your, building. your team's ability to work as a team. That's right. Those softer interactions when you're not, uh, when the stakes are not high and you get to interface with each other as human beings, that's got to contribute to your ability to work together under high pressure situations. That's right. And let me just say one other thing sort of in closing. Um, mm -hmm. we talk a lot and it's, and it's a lot in memes and jokes and, and it, and it's, we laugh about it because it's laugh or cry, but we talk a lot about how nurses don't get lunches and mm -hmm. nurses rarely even get the time to go pee half the time. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think that is part of the, the manager maker schedule. If we take 30 minutes away from that maker schedule where we are in the zone and we are doing our thing and serving our patients, 30 minutes away can crush that, that zone, that vibe that we're in. We are so far behind when we come back, whether we've had someone covering for us or not, that the majority of us decide just it's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. I'll snack real quick or I'll just skip it because by the, when I get back, I'm going to be, I'll, I'll be snowed under. I'll drown. Right. I'll drown. Just forget it. Um, it's this. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. I see one of my good friends is a third year resident and she, I'm always like reminding her to drink water. She never drinks. And she's just out of the habit of drinking because she's working these ridiculous shifts at the hospital. And A, she doesn't have time to drink. She doesn't know where she's going to put her water bottle. But even if she did, if she had to drink, she drank, she'd have to pee and she doesn't have time to pee. And I, I'm like, wow, that's really unfortunate that you work in the healthcare industry in this very basic human function that you absolutely must need to stay hydrated is being denied to you simply because you don't have the time 
to take a leak after you've, you know, drunk enough water. You get way to too far it. behind just yeah. that quickly. Wow, that's just crazy. That's that insane. Yeah. Manager versus maker. Hmm. All right. Well, this is some interesting information that I hope we have more managers uh, listening to this podcast and and among our makers, our healthcare workers. Think about how your schedule works. Think about whether or not you have time, those four hours that Nisa mentioned, to um, to try to schedule, uh, to set aside for yourself to say, this is when I'm going to schedule, try to schedule all of my training sessions. This is when I'm going to try to schedule um, uh, meetings that I have to go to. How, uh, if you're a manager, consider staggering your meeting schedules even more. Um, what advice do we have for the managers to try to make it not only better for their employees, for their staff? I, I mean, so right now, I mean, right now we're talking about COVID time. We're yeah. talking about nurses can barely get themselves together to sure. go and do the three twelves that they've got. Sure. Let, let's just let's just get that out there. But back to pre-COVID and hopefully eventually someday we'll be in a post-COVID world. Um, but let's keep, let's keep things that we've learned from COVID. Let's keep Zoom. Let's keep, keep Zoom. Skype. Yeah. Let nurses just sit at home and Skype into a staff meeting. Right. There are education uh, uh, presentations that they can do via Zoom just fine. We've learned that from COVID. Right. Um, Consider recording your meetings like I recommended. Recording meetings so that people yes. can can pay attention to the entire subject matter, make notes, follow up with their own comments that can then be brought up as part of the minutes and brought into the next meeting. If you want them to come in from home for a one o'clock meeting, then let them stay and work from two to seven and then shave it off of the 12 hours that they were supposed to work the next day or whatever. They're giving some, you're giving some. If you really want their input, which you do, trust me, Mm -hmm. you do, um, give a little, you know, so they can give a little. Um, you've got to be more creative than what we're doing right now. Gotcha. All right, can we close with that song? Give a little bit. Give a little give bit, a little bit of your time for. I don't, yeah, that's yeah. I I'm not really good at making up lyrics on the fly, but you guys get the message. All right. Well, good information. Interesting things to think about. We hope that you enjoyed, uh, that you take some of this back to your managers and that you think about it yourselves as you consider your schedules moving forward. Uh, but for now, consider uh, giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, um, or at the very least, send us an email with your thoughts and suggestions, especially about uh, if you're a maker or a manager and what you think you could do to make your schedules um, run a little bit more smoothly for everybody on your team. So until then... You can hit us up on our social media and send us your address and we will be happy to send you some stickers. Great. So we are at the Keyword Podcast on Facebook, the Keyword Podcast on Instagram, and we are at the Keyword Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Lisa. We'll talk to you later. Bye, Lisa. Bye.